a lot of the reason that a free clinic was really appealing to me because it provided a whole new opening for who we'd be working with, how they would challenge us, how we could challenge them to try something new and to participate in a different form of medicine and a different outlook about their health. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. A friend of mine sent me a quote. It goes, for those who have never owned or operated a business, stuff always goes wrong, constantly. All businesses are loosely functioning disasters that sometimes make money. This is from a guy named Brett Bishore. This quote had me reaching into the internet to see just who this Brett Bishore character is. Turns out, he lives up the road a few hours from me in Columbia, Missouri. He invests in businesses. And from what I read on his website, he's not just an honest, straight-shooting businessman. He's the kind of businessman that I want to grow up to be. When you're rolling your eyes and shaking your finger at capitalism, you're thinking about the opposite of this guy. I want to share some of these core principles that I found on his website upon which he runs his company because they not only readily apply to any business that wants to run in a profitable and ethical way, but in my experience, they absolutely apply to running an acupuncture practice. So you'll get some of my comments about these principles. Some of these will make sense to you immediately. Others are counterintuitive. They all speak to my heart and maybe they'll speak to yours as well. Let's go. Number one, build win-win-win relationships. Employees, suppliers, customers, communities, and owners must all win to be able to be sustainable. And man, I love this idea. And way too often, I fail at it, usually because I'm looking for a cheaper price or I'm a bit lazy or I get drawn into the zero-sum game and imagine that I'm losing if someone else is winning. I love the ethic of considering the entire community in my business decisions. It's a challenge to craft a deal or consider a purchase in which I consider the ripples it creates in my community. It's certainly a perspective worth bringing into my practice-to-practice. You might want to think about it as well. Number two, the more boring, the better. Humans are built to dab a little bit of dopamine into the neural circuitry on a regular basis. We like it. It makes us feel happy and alive. But I have to agree that when it comes to running your business, the more boring, the better. You want stability, not surprises. Your clinic will run better and you'll like it more when it's not consistently grabbing at your attention. A nice, stable, conservative, reliable business makes for better sleep at night. So yeah, mo' boring, mo' better. Number three, generate success through growth. Sustainable growth involves adding value rather than depleting resources. Hang on, I'm going to say that again. Sustainable growth involves adding value rather than depleting resources. I know I've made the mistake of thinking growth in a business or growth in the economy is bad, that it's a zero-sum game, that if I get more, then someone else is getting less. Or if I get more, it means I'm consuming more. So do consider that part of what your business and practice is about is creating value. 
Value is awesome because you create it right out of thin air. It comes from the work that you do. It arises from exchange of genuinely helping others. Value is directly connected to the way that you help to make the world a better place. That kind of growth is not just sustainable, it makes your community a better place as well. Number four, be extremely reliable. Do what you say you're going to do and when you say you're going to do it. Do it without exception. I think reliability is important as it's one of the foundations of building and maintaining trust. It shows that you care. It demonstrates that you're dependable. Number five, operate authentically. Life is less complicated when you don't have to remember who you're supposed to be. I know this sounds easy, and you might even be thinking, why would you not want to operate authentically? And fair enough, but how often have you done something in your business because some expert recommended it, or you thought to be successful, you had to, air quotes, do this to get ahead. So yeah, go with who you are, because as Dr. Seuss pointed out, those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. Number six, maintain high integrity. Most decisions aren't difficult with a commitment to doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I think this is true, and it is also a practice that's going to develop your courage and your trust. Number seven, remember that everything worth doing is hard. Shallow relationships and quick fixes never pay off. I found that this is really true. And the harder something is to do, the fewer people who will do it. And I've also found that cheap solutions frequently turn out to be costly. And quick fixes wake me up in the middle of the night. Number eight, the future is murky. We don't know what the future holds. So keep your debt low and your relationships uncomplicated. Now, for me, for some reason, I tend to be anaphylactically allergic to debt. I see it as a modern form of indentured servitude. Sure, there are times when taking out a loan to invest in your business, it can be helpful, but it's better as much as possible to be unfettered financially. Number nine, think and act long-term. Doing what's best in the long-term interest of your company and its employees it simplifies and it clarifies. How many of us lament the way that so many businesses only think about short-term interests? And more to the point, how often have you chosen the short-term over the long-term? I agree. It makes sense to think and act long-term, but it truly is easier said than done. Still, I think it's worth shooting at. If you've listened with any regularity to the podcast, you'll know that I think we are lucky that we have the opportunity to run our own business. I don't see it as something that we have to do. I think it's something that we get to do. And as Brett mentions in principle number seven, everything worth doing is hard. It's true, but this is also where the value gets created. And beyond the value to the bottom line of your finances, doing the hard stuff, it makes you more competent, more understanding, and anti-fragile to boot. 
These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. 
All of nature works on exchange. You see this in the simple act of breathing. You see this in the oxygen carbon dioxide cycle with plants. It's displayed throughout the natural world. Indeed, there is no life without some form of exchange. In a moment, we'll be getting into a conversation with Bess Randalls and Kyle Yoshioka on how they saw a need to help an underserved population and created a free clinic while they were in acupuncture school. And what's more, how that experience informs the work that they do now as practitioners. We'll get into this in a moment. Like the guests of our show today, I am also the kind of person that has a fire kindled in my wood element when I hear the word no. Nothing like honing in on the way you want to see the world to be different to give you some direction and some fortitude. Let's get into this conversation. Here we go. Bess Randalls and Kyle Yoshioka, welcome to Geological. Thank you for having us, Michael. Yeah, it's an honor. Thank you. I am delighted. You guys, you're fairly new practitioners. And my understanding is that when you were in school, like acupuncture school, super busy, learning a whole new language and way of thinking and a medicine and everything, you guys started a free clinic. We did, yeah. So the first thing that goes through my mind is, okay, these folks are in acupuncture school. They're already like really busy because it's a really full-time pursuit and it's a lot of work. So first of all, I'd love to know where the idea came from. And secondly, what I would love to explore with you today, how on earth do you make, number one, a free clinic? And number two, how do you do that while you're in school? Sure. It's a good question. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I think the genesis of it was, it came from a desire to be more entrenched in our communities and experience what it would be like to bring acupuncture to a broader community while we were still going through our didactic experience. We obviously had a lot of clinical time at our school. For me, at least, it felt as though there was something of the kind of social justice-oriented or community-facing work that was missing from our curriculum. And so the motivation was in part to give ourselves that as students, Mm -hmm. um, give ourselves the experience of working with our communities directly in this amazing modality that we were training in, and also kind of have a kind of dialogical relationship with our with our school and with our curriculum to give an opportunity to do that kind of work really directly rather than learning about it obliquely through our classes. That's part of it. So you saw something missing and decided to fill in that gap. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, <laughs> your description of, of our time as students is, I think, really accurate. So we somehow summoned the time to do it. I think because we were, we were both really passionate about that kind of work and it felt essential to do. And so in between point locations, studying herbs, anatomy, et cetera, et cetera, there, there just became time because it felt essential. Yeah. And I think thinking too about how our patients are teachers and we were sort of disconnected from this huge part of Portland and part of the city we were in. 
it felt like we needed that in order to keep maturing as practitioners and that that was sort of a necessary part of our learning process to be engaged with our full community. I mean, I just love this. First of all, it's wonderful whenever we see an opportunity in the world. Usually it looks like work, right? Like, hey, there's something missing here or hey, there's a problem here. And, you know, you notice it and like, okay, so what can I do about that? Where were you in your schooling when this came to mind and you decided to take action on it? And then, I mean, it's hard enough for people when they're graduates to create a clinic that they receive payment for, to create, while you're students, a free clinic. I mean, there's like some business acumen that I think you guys have that I really want to get into. I think in part too, we realized or recognized that our school had a lot of the foundations already set to do a program like that. The insurance that the school used could already cover a clinic offsite. And we had, you know, many teachers and supervisors sort of around us and available. And I was on the student government at the time and noticing that there were a lot of funds that weren't being used that were sort of placed in by our student body to be used by the school for learning opportunities. And they were often going towards having lectures in or having events that were limited and how many students could be there or who they, they would benefit clinically. And so I think we saw that the foundation was sort of already set and that we just needed to create a kind of framework for a clinic off that foundation, like build the bones off of the foundation. Mm -hmm. So there was funding that was available. Funding was available through the school with process of us applying for funding, writing out a proposal of what the clinic would be, what its values were, mission. And that's how we secured funding for the clinic. Mm -hmm. And then was this a student clinic where the students would work and be supervised and get credit and that kind of thing? Or could uh, practitioners from the community also offer their services there? It was a fully student-run clinic. Uh-huh. Yeah. And academic credit was available for participation. Of course, it involved licensed acupuncturists as well. But yeah, everyone doing the actual needling was a student. And then you were supervised like you would in, you know, many of the kind of external clinics that many schools have. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, like Beth said, we were sort of operating in a satellite capacity, but we we're really just sort of catalyzing everything that was in place mm -hmm. already on some level, right? Like funds were available, willing and enthusiastic Supervisors were available. We had all the like logistical things. It, it was already in place. There wasn't as much of the kind of back end work around making it fit within the parameters of delivering medical interventions. It was a matter, in part, of bringing together people who would love to avail themselves of the opportunity given a framework. So we we made the framework. You made the framework. Now, what kind of treatments? Were you doing there? Were you doing like full-on treatments like you would do normally in a uh, like a supervised clinic? Were you doing more community clinic? What did it look like? It was more of a community clinic setup. 
we wanted it to be very safe and simple mm. and be something that people could come into and enjoy and feel really comfortable and have, you know, often their first experience with acupuncture. And we also wanted students to feel sort of well within their skill set and for it to be something that students through in multiple years of the program could participate in because we wanted there to be students who could participate for two years at a time so that they would be able to keep bringing in a new generation of practitioners. So we were focusing more on community clinic like treatments and auricular acupuncture. What kind of treatments were you doing in that community clinic? There's all kinds of uh, different methods that people used. Were there some that you gravitated toward? Yeah, primarily we were doing five needle, the five needle protocol as popularized, systematized by uh, NADA. So yeah, primarily auricular acupuncture. And the reason for that, as, as Bess was saying, like it's an accessible thing for newer needlers, people who are less experienced with acupuncture. And the auricular acupuncture course, at least our school, came earlier in the, in the curriculum. So there was a broader pool of people to pull from for the volunteer positions. And then, too, there's just such a robust body of research around 5NP, and that helps to frame and kind of substantiate our reasons for wanting to do a clinic in the first place, and then also to kind of make it feel accessible and feel approachable and that it has a sort of research basis for people receiving acupuncture maybe for their first time. And then there's also a really rich history of 5NP being used in various public health, radical health settings, such as the Black Panthers, using 5NP and other protocols that they researched from the research in China and then utilized in sort of street medicine and, and people's health clinics that Black Panthers um, founded and popularized. Yeah, I just had Rachel Pagones on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and she just recently did a book, Acupuncture is Revolution, mm. and talked about, yeah, are you familiar with her and her work? Yeah, so it's amazing some streams of that acupuncture was used in, like use the term street medicine, or did I just make that up? Yeah, street medicine. It really is helpful in that way, and it's often a piece of our history that you don't hear so much about. Yeah. I think it's interesting, too, to think of how acupuncture has kind of its own life in America. And a lot of that has been quite radical and revolutionary because it does sit in opposition to the Western medical model in many ways. Yeah. So where else do you see acupuncture being kind of radical that way? Well, I came into Ocon from having gone to medical school. And a lot of what I wanted in going to Ocon was to really get away from Western medicine. And when I was in medical school, I felt like I wanted to provide more preventative medicine and mm. talk about longevity more and sort of interventions less. And it's frustrating for me to sort of see the way acupuncture being taught, being more and more Western in many ways because we're trying to sort of fit into this Western medical model in this way that healthcare is provided. So I think it's an interesting crossroads that we're at as a profession, trying to 
decide whether we're going to integrate. And in some ways, I feel end up compromising a little bit of how the medicine can be provided or yeah, we're going to continue to be sort of outside of the Western medicine. Hello everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine, dietary therapy for over two decades in New York city. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. You sound comfortable being outside the Western medicine model. I think I have a difficult relationship with Western medicine. I went into medical school because I had a difficult relationship with Western medicine. I had never had a doctor that I'd had a really good relationship with. I did have relationships with that, that later with physicians of mine, but I wanted to become a doctor because I wanted to be a doctor, the first doctor that I'd ever liked. And I was sort of recognizing when I was in medical school that I didn't like myself as a doctor, that I had to make a lot of compromises in order to be a part of that profession. And it felt like in many ways, the walls were closing in on me, that Mm -hmm. my world was becoming very small, both in who I could be and how I could practice. So I gravitated towards Chinese medicine because it felt so expansive. And that's what makes me excited about Chinese medicine, that we're always growing as practitioners and we're growing as people. And I think that was a lot of the reason that a free clinic was really appealing to me because it provided a whole new opening for who we'd be working with, how they would challenge us, how we could challenge them to try something new and to participate in a different form of medicine and a different outlook about their health. Western medicine is always feels very sort of finite. It's like you get a diagnosis and then you're stuck with it. And there often aren't conversations about getting better around a lot of chronic illnesses. It's sort of slowing it down or preparing for how it will continue to deteriorate you. And I love that Chinese medicine has more of an optimistic view, Mm -hmm. not that it can cure anything or treat everything, but I just feel like there are many more ways to look at how you are healing or how you can heal. So that even if you continue to be a diabetic, your pattern may change and you may see how you're improving and growing and it's not quite so limited. I like your phrasing that Chinese medicine is optimistic in that sense. And and I would certainly not disagree with you about that. I find that because we're looking through a completely different set of lenses and filters, Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, and often enough, in fact, 
we can see things that our Western colleagues cannot see. And we have this incredible concept in Chinese medicine of the Zheng Qi, right? The upright Qi. Western medicine doesn't really have that idea. They're very good at talking about pathology, but they're not so great at understanding like what is vitally working well, like what's healthy and can be brought to bear on a situation. And I think our medicine offers that in really deep measure. Beth, you were talking about integrating, our medicine might be integrating, we're kind of a crossroads. And that really captures my imagination. I see a similar thing, right? There's folks that want to go, you know, very Western medicine and, and maybe even integrate into hospitals and other kinds of clinics and, and things like that. And then you've got people in a completely different way doing things like the clinic that you did. I talked with, oh, I'm so embarrassed I forget his name, but he, I think he's from the Portland area and he does acupuncture down on the border. You guys might remember his name, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. Um, to mind, you know, to mention his name will come to us in a moment. You know, the work he's doing, not at all integrated in our system and in fact stands apart from it. I love your guys' phrasing, street medicine. And, you know, there's so many places that we can apply the skills that we have. We don't have to be in, in the system in air quotes. We can go create things of our own. Kyle, I want to take it to you for a moment. How do you see yourself working with the medicine at this point? And where do you see it taking you in terms of community and people that you want to work with? And just like, where does the medicine sort of like draw you to at this point? Oh, that's a great question. And one that I'm asking myself <laughs> and that I can't wait to see unfold. Yeah, there's a few things that I have been thinking about. One being, yes, how do we introduce this to as broad an audience as possible? As possible, I think whether or not this is accurate, and I can't speak to that necessarily, but I think during our schooling, it was sort of reinforced to us a lot that our primary patient demographic would be very particular. Speaking particularly about like a certain level of affluence, like wealthier white people, was was sort of what was multiply like communicated to us as, as being primarily what we would be doing in our clinical experience. And then every other kind of demographic wasn't really addressed. It wasn't given much, much air time, I think. So, I mean, for one, that has not been my experience as a, as a practitioner here, even in, in Portland, which is predominantly white. My patient population is primarily people of color. A lot of queer and trans patients um, are in my roster as well. And for that, I'm really grateful. And so I think I'm thinking as I'm moving through, like, how do we change the messaging around for whom is acupuncture? And part of that process, I think, is for me bringing as much of my identity and my intersections as possible and making them as visible as possible in practice and demonstrating, modeling that they're the same kind of disparities in uh, health access need not be present in acupuncture. I understand how they might be. However, in practice, it does not have to be. It does not have to be so. And I think 
part of that on a micro level, and it's been kind of macro, but on a micro level for myself as a practitioner in a treatment room with a patient, using acupuncture as a means of demonstrating that our relationship to our body can be dialogical rather than unidirectional. I feel like one of my gripes with Western medicine, though I respect it and think it has its place, is that it kind of communicates hierarchically. Like, obviously, you're encountering your provider and it feels as though there's a power differential, even though you're the one being served. As if? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's very clear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's obvious. And it's not only like that, it's it's like with interventions, with medical therapy, with medication, it is like a black box. Like, there's really no wiggle room for like patient input with how things are going. So there's something very revolutionary, radical about the capacity of an acupuncture treatment to show that an intervention that, that you're doing for your health or to address some concern that you have can be like a conversation that you're having with your body. It's facilitated. Like I think part of what we do is we're facilitating that conversation. But like the needles are sort of guideposts or signals that reestablish or strengthen or remind us that there is a conversation happening in the body. And that's something that I think it's very empowering, I think, for patients. And I think it's something that Western medicine intentionally or not definitely tries to curtail because that's just a lot messier, (laughs) you know? And I think that's beautiful. I think it's great that it's like complicated and circuitous. And the fact that we can point to that being a reality, like an embodied reality, not just something that we're like gesturing at, but something that is actually visceral and embodied is incredible. And that's one of my favorite parts of doing what I do. You know, let me just jump in for one second. I, I love your description of acupuncture as conversation. And I think I like it so much because that is what has been like the compass of what guides my clinic for the length of time I've been doing clinic. It's always been about like, who is this person and what do they need? Not what do I think they need? What do they need? And what can I do to put myself in a receptive enough frame to be able to hear what they need and help us get there, not just them, help us get there. I think it, it's so important and, yes, often lacking in the conventional medicine world for whatever reasons. And, you know, think about that. But I'd rather pay more attention to, like, what you guys did with your clinic. We see an opportunity. We have these fantastic tools, these wonderful methods. Let's just make the world that we want to live in. Yeah, it's exactly like everything was available for us. Um, And it just makes sense. There was a blueprint for us to follow. Like we took inspiration from like acupuncturists without borders and from from the, the People's Free Health Clinics. And we're not reinventing the wheel, but we are certainly like galvanizing and like availing ourselves of things that are available to like to most institutions. There's... Institutions are so resource rich, and I think it's kind of hard to see that. But if you 
poke around enough, it is available to you. It can be made available to you. No pun intended. Sorry for poking. Yeah. And I, I think to bridge with like the conversation element too, this is sort of tangential, but I don't know if you're familiar with community-based participatory research. It's occurring in the contemporary research where the intent is not to sort of deliver an intervention onto a place or like research something that only the researchers are interested in. Rather, it's a, it's a process of like surveying a potential population, a potential research population, seeing what their needs are, and then surveying and doing different evaluations about how that might be implemented. So it's like, it's conversational. It's not one entity kind of imposing a thing onto another. It's enmeshing oneself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Amplifying, enmeshing yourself in the needs of, of a population and then working to deliver that. So it's coming from the group that you are interacting with rather than being this like one directional thing. So I think it's a similar like ethos with, with this. And I think part of the work of doing this kind of clinic could definitely include that kind of thing. Like what are the populations that would most benefit from this that we think would then go to that population, like talk to those people and see if it would be. And that that's an important part of this as well. Like not merely producing. That's also just like smart market research. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's like, Hey, would y'all like these chocolate chip cookies? Nah, we don't like chocolate chip cookies over here. We like raisin cookies. All right. Well, how about some raisin cookies then? Yeah. Um, but you'd be surprised how often that doesn't happen. <laughs> so yeah, it's crucial. Yeah. Beth, I'm sorry I interrupted you a few moments ago. I know you had something to say. I don't know if it's relevant anymore, but I do thinking about the process too of being in Portland's population, asking them what they want, you know, mm. what Kyle was speaking to of sort of going to a patient population, asking what they want. I think also with our students, that was something we were recognizing too, that there was a population of students at our school who came to acupuncture school because they wanted to be able to sort of practice in a way that was in line with their values in terms of social justice and feeling they wanted to participate in activism through their work. And so I think that was part of why it felt like a sustainable program too, is that we wanted to give those students a place to talk about those things and to talk about how to reach a broader population with acupuncture. I think a lot of what Kyle was speaking to earlier about this sort of certain type of patient that we told, we were told again and again would be our sort of bread and butter is that, you know, I think acupuncture has sort of been co-opted by almost like spa culture. So people tend to think of it as being something that's sort of a luxury and unavailable to them. And I think we wanted to, yeah, talk to, talk to a different population, but also help to create conversations with students about how to reach reach those people and to do it in a way that was sort of literate as to what they were going through, what language they would prefer to use, what health problems they may be experiencing, and how we could support them in a way that was empowering. But I think what I was going to say earlier was just that, you know, needles are inert, which is so cool because whatever is happening is coming from that person's own sort of like their blueprint, their jing, their jung chi. So there's something really beautiful about someone getting off the table and saying like, I have this all the time that someone will say, you know, thank you so much. 
you healed me, you did this, da, da, da. And it's nice that we as practitioners could always say like, you healed yourself, you know, you did this. So I think that was a lot of what we wanted to seed in the community, even though our clinic may not have been sort of robust enough to handle maybe a more complicated case. It could provide someone that sort of taste of empowerment of refamiliarizing themselves with their sort of in, innate healing power and getting outside of that that kind of consumerist model that we tend to have with healthcare of thinking that whatever we need is external to us. There's a lot of very hungry people out there and that we're always sort of looking for like that piece of clothing or that car or that house or that thing that's going to complete us. And I think it's really beautiful that acupuncture always reminds you that you are whole. I love the phrase or, or the word actually helping to refamiliarize people with their own capacities and just how exquisitely acupuncture does that. I have absolutely seen that. It's one of the reasons why I feel like I can do the work because it's not me doing something to someone. It's me helping someone discover something that's already them. It's always been them. They've always had it. They may not have had access to it. It may have gone dormant. It may have somehow gone offline, but you know we have these incredible capacities. I'm sure you've seen this with patients as well. They fall into that really deep state. They come back out and they're so relaxed. They're like, what did you put on those needles? Mm-hmm. It's like, there's nothing on those needles. They're just needles. It's like, well, how come I feel the way I do? It's like, that's you. What you're feeling now is you, right? You just haven't been in touch with it. Now you're in touch with it. How long will it last? It's like, I don't know, but I know this. It's in you. You take it everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so wonderful to be able to empower people to recognize that they have amazing capacities. They may have forgotten it. They may have talked themselves out of it. Someone else may have talked them out of it for that matter. All you got to do is look at any drug commercial on TV and people are constantly being talked out of their own well-being. Yeah. And then you take that to a community level. It's like we see that on the individual scale all the time. Someone recognizing that they have more power than they remembered or knew. And I think that that's sort of what we wanted to, to imbue into our student body and to imbue into our community that they're more powerful than they knew, that a school and institution could help us to reach a much broader population and that as a group, we could do something more powerful and more healing. And I always like that with the way that we learn about yin and yang and these sort of ways in which we are a microcosm and that we're connected to our environment, our family environment, our community, our city, our world, our universe. So I think that's a lot of what was helped us to create that clinic was remembering that we needed to get outside of ourselves. We needed to get outside of our school and we needed to be in something that was collaborative. Well, I think it's also really helpful as a practitioner to have a sense of what your heart is and have a sense of who it is that you want to serve. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really helpful. 
I'm a little concerned actually hearing what you're learning in school in terms of, well, this is your patient population is going to look like this. Because I don't know if that's really true. And I had someone on recently, Sydney Malauer, who is a fairly recent graduate, and she was taught you're going to have to have multiple rooms, you're going to have to take insurance, you're going to have to do a clinic, and it's going to have to look like this to make money. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And she set out to create something of her own that matched who she is and how she wants to be in the world. And she is rocking it. Even though she started in the midst of COVID, she's like rocking it. Sure. And she's rocking it because she's coming from where her heart is. Mm -hmm. She's like not listening to the experts. She's looking at what needs to be done and what do I need to do to do that? Yeah, that's inspiring. Yeah, the kind of messaging around like who your who your patient population will be, what your treatment room has to look like, what your business model has to look like. I mean, when I say it like that, it's like, yeah, obviously that's not entirely helpful. And I think what is helpful is, you know, endowing people, endowing students with time and intention to like ask questions about what that, where your heart is or what your heart is. Like, can you make space for people to ask those questions of themselves and then mm. actualize or help them to actualize or see potentialities where they may be? And that's from like a student perspective, a lot more inspiring to hear, I think, than like having to fight against a current or a sort of entrenched belief that is you inherit rather than you're prompted to create yourself. But it sounds like both of you have created what you wanted based on who you are and the change that you want to see in the world. You've both been able to do that. What would you say is the capacity that you already had that you brought with you to school that allowed you to keep that alive and then beyond that, look at the resources of your school, look at where some things were missing, and then like create something out of nothing? I think we're both Tauruses. Both, <laughs> we're both Tauruses and we're both very stubborn. And I think yeah. when we received that messaging that we had, that we were going to have a limited patient population, that there were limited ways in which we could be successful. I think both of us had a kind of absolutely not reaction to that. And I think it even pushed us to create this clinic just to prove to ourselves that there was much more. Yeah, Bess and I are also like very good friends. And I think like having people around you who you like to work with and trust is obviously very crucial for anything. But mm. yeah, especially something like this where it's like, can we do this? Yeah, we can. Like we were like each other's hype yeah. people. <laughs> and that's crucial. Like, you know, when you're ideating and, and that like it's easy to become myopic with what you think is possible. And then when you like encounter someone with similar ideas, you're like, wait a minute, this is actually possible. And then, yeah, and then it. It just is <laughs> somehow. So there's a definite element of that. We were both angry too. And we were talking a lot with each other about feeling really frustrated with the limited vision we were provided and also the limited sort of experiences that we were having for treating people. And so I think that we sort of had this moment of being like, oh, we don't have to be angry about this. We can just use these resources and do what we want to do. 
which I think is something you see in people all the time too, that they're sort of like, they feel stuck in their life and they feel like they can't create movement. And then you just sort of give them a little nudge. And I feel like we were both sort of these like bulls in a pen. And then we just decided to break out of it. And it, you know, and then we ran. <laughs> it, was, it was so easy because I think we are really good at hyping each other. And I think we also have, we have a funny overlap of, I feel like Kyle and I have, we sort of think the same thoughts a lot, but we also don't like doing the same tasks. Oh, that's helpful. So it was very easy for us to divvy things up. Okay. So how are you different in terms of the things that you like to do or that you're good at? I would say that Kyle is very good at being thorough and intentional in, I don't know, I feel like Kyle, you were the person that wrote up everything and that you were very good at researching things and providing a really solid foundation for sort of why things would work from a sort of citations, history perspective. You're also very exact with language, which I really love about you. So I think that that sort of helped us to hone in on the details of how this machine was going to run and how we wanted to communicate that with others. Yeah. And then Bess, what was your strong point? What did you bring to the party here? I think... If I can yes. speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like a similar level of like rigor and, and thoroughness that maybe I bring. But additionally, just like a, I think that brings like a kind of magnetism and the like people facing, people centric kind of um, approach that is necessary for the kind of medicine that we do. But just like a kind of drive and like, I'm going to use this word very positive, like an audacity that I really admire, like just getting things done, talking to the right people, connecting with people and a sort of capacity and uh, a real talent for like bringing people on board. And it's like a ineffable. It's like a thing that you cannot teach, I think, but best definitely has it. So together <laughs> we formed a, a charismatic and unstoppable force. <laughs> audacity so like what your business card says force of nature on it or something like that it says gentle and strong so you're not far off <laughs> gentle and strong i have a performance background and i'd also spent time working for a food bank or i served at a food bank i was an americorps member at a food bank mm. and i think i'd already seen how people who had been there for a while had somewhat of a limited view as to what it could do at times and I was a, as an AmeriCorps member there who was teaching people in the community about cooking and how to use the foods that were provided through the food bank, which were often gleaned from local farms, how to cook them and prepare them so that they were sort of accessible to them. I did a lot of connecting with people in the community and found that there was a lot of excitement in that and that people often didn't realize that they had that kind of resource in town. So I think that that communicated very well to then coming to the school, coming to OCOM and sort of realizing that a lot of people in the city didn't know about OCOM, didn't know about acupuncture and hadn't had it before. And so it was just sort of really fun to connect the dots. And I think coming from 
an improv background, which is, you know, I did uh, comedic improv for years. It's always about saying yes and being constructive and building and trying to connect to whatever is going on in that person in that moment and really amplify it and run with it. And so I think that that often serves me in these kinds of onboarding people and trying to get people excited about something new. I hear you talk about improv. It's like, it's always like yes and. Yes. It's never no but. It's always yes and. Or no and. But yes, it's always constructed. It's always and. Is, yeah. Yes. Well, because the thing with improv is that you're you're on a stage and you have nothing, right? You're wearing plain clothes. You have maybe one other person there. Sometimes you're alone. And you're trying to convince the audience that you have an entire life on stage. You have props there. You're having to hold your hand like you have a phone in it and you have nothing. So you always have to be constructive because as soon as you start taking things apart, everyone knows that there's nothing there. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. So this sounds a lot like being an acupuncturist. Exactly. Yes. I mean, it really does, right? Because people come in and say, I got this, I got this, I got that. Oh, there's this other thing I've never told anybody. Blah, 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 blah. Am I crazy? Or what is that? But it very much is that sense as a practitioner of yes to everything, like yes and, or how I often think about it in clinics, like yes and how does that fit? Yes, and, and where does that fit? Right? Because there's, there's room for everything. How do we know there's room for everything? Because this person has all of that in them. Mm. So of course there's room for everything. It's up to us to discover how does that all hang together. I can imagine improv as being a phenomenal tool that you lean on in your clinical work as well as in your activism work. Yeah. I think it guides a lot of my conversations and I think what's exciting about, or what I found exciting about improv is that I would get to try on all these different characters. Mm. And every time you do, you know that that's a person in you or that's, that's a part of you. So I would play these characters that would embody something that I found difficult in myself, maybe. Like, you know, whenever I was having an argument with someone, I would try and be them in an improv scene and I would come out of it and have so much compassion for them because I just, you know, I'd forgotten what it was like to be in their shoes. And so 
I think that that's a nice thing too with improv is to remember that you, you yourself are very expansive and that you hold all these different attributes inside of you and that you can touch into another person's being through that, if that makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. It makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah. Now, you are both in practice at this point. I mean, you're both graduated. You're both doing the work right now. And it sounds like you had this epiphany or like, what? I can't do this here. Well, watch me. I'm going to do it. Watch this kind of attitude, which I think is great. I think it's essential, actually, if we're going to be in private practice, that we've got a, a little bit, not hubris, but you know enough audacity to say, I've got an idea and watch me do it. I'm going to wait till the world tells me no. I'm not going to listen to a person telling me no. I'm going to wait till the world tells me no. Otherwise, I'm moving straight ahead. I think it's a really helpful thing to have. And, and in some ways, it sounds like the two of you got some training, your own training, because of your vision for the clinic in how to run a practice and how to create what you wanted. Now, you've both mentioned that the message that you were getting about marketing in school wasn't helpful. The way that it was laid out about here's how you're going to be a successful practitioner, you're like, mm, not in my world. I suspect you are not alone. I think you are probably far from alone. And so for folks listening now, maybe they're still students, maybe they're new practitioners, maybe they've been working for 10 years, but they're not happy with what they've created. What advice would you have for folks in terms of how do you create that ideal clinic, that ideal service, that practice that truly is yours to create? Like, what does it take? I guess for me personally, it's been a lot of working on myself. Whenever I come up against what I think is a barrier, I think remembering that it's probably an internal barrier, if that makes sense. Mm. I think that it's sometimes we can be blinded to how many sort of limiting beliefs we hold about ourselves and who we can be and what we can do. And that when we come against an assumption about what our practice has to look like or what we're able to handle as practitioners, I think it's good to go inside and sort of excavate whatever messaging you received through your life that wasn't possible. Because I think a lot of it doesn't come just from our training. I think it comes from just even older wounds or older ideas that we received as children as to like who we can be in the world. And so most of us didn't imagine as kids that we would be acupuncturists. It wasn't shown to us. And I think that there is a little bit of an uphill battle for a lot of acupuncturists in terms of establishing, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it full time. I'm going to, I'm going to make it my life. I'm going to let myself commit to fall in love with a whole vision of the world that a lot of people don't, aren't familiar with. And they have to be kind of so grateful that most people know what acupuncture is to start with. And that I don't have to tell people about the very premise of it, but you know, we, I often have conversations with friends just about how it's a whole system of medicine and that it's designed to handle all, all matters of things and that it's doing that through this really gorgeous vision of the world through elements and yin and yang and 
I think that you have to have a certain amount of strength in yourself to bring people to that window kind of and show them the world through that glass. So I feel like we often have to come back to ourselves then and remind ourselves that we're strong and that the world is big and that there's a place for whatever practice we have envisioned for ourselves and whoever we are as individuals. You said something that really rung me like a bell. You said commit and fall in love with. Mm. Who would not want to commit and fall in love with something that like gladdens their heart? I mean, what if we had a marketing class that was about like how to commit and fall in love with your practice? Instead of like, here's this uphill battle and here's all these compromises you're going to have to make and here's all these things that you're going to hate that you have to do, but to be successful, blah, blah, blah. What if instead we found a way, we had a class, we had a, an exploration that allowed us to commit and fall in love with what we want to create and let that be the basis. I just, I love that idea, Beth. Thank you. Bess, thank you so much. I've been at this 20 plus years and my practice changes with time and circumstance and practices are never not changing, mm -hmm. right? They could be a matured practice, but they're always changing. And, uh, well, because we are right. Hopefully. Yeah. And I think you and Kyle already kind of struck upon that with saying what's in your heart. You have to look inside of what's in you and then find a way to project that outwards. And that's, I think for a lot of us, that's our practice. and you know, our heart's going to keep maturing and changing. And I think believing that whatever's in our heart has a place in the world, that it wouldn't be there if it didn't have a place in the world. And that's sort of what's really nice about Chinese medicine, that it's sort of, it has that expansive outlook. And we talked about it being optimistic in that way. Yeah, that's wonderful. Kyle, what about you? What would you say to some newer, younger practitioners or students or Again, even people that are somewhere in the middle of their practice, but it's not the practice that fits them. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, far for me to like <laughs> tell someone who's much farther along in their career how to, how to do this thing. But I guess there's a few things I would say. One is that everything that you've done up to this point is relevant and useful somehow. It's sort of a matter of, divining or determining how it is that that comes into you know like acupuncture school i think it attracts people from a litany of backgrounds and they might not seem relevant immediately to what you're going through but i bet that it is in some way there's some aspects of running a business that will draw upon your previous experience whether that is like being a customer yourself like there's something to draw upon that can illuminate some facet of what you're doing that is immediately relevant. And you, you need not close off or think of as like compartmentalized all the things that you've done in your life. There's a bounty there that you can mine. I think another really crucial thing is community, like having people around you, whether that be physically or digitally or however, having people with whom you can commune and either talk about your practice or just not talk about your practice. Just having and surrounding yourself with people who you love and trust, who you admire, who inspire you, who comfort you, that's crucial for anything that you do, I think. And this is not an easy path, or it's at least not a simple path. So 
don't tough it out in terms of like isolating yourself or like leaning into that kind of occasionally lonely road of being a business owner. It's it's crucial to take breaks in that way and remind yourself that you're not laboring in the dark alone. There's people in your corner. There are people who've done similar things and have had similar moments of being at a low point or confused and they've gotten through it. I bet in no small part because they have people in their corner. And then I think too, like lastly is that if it's not feeling great right now, that is okay. It's not going to be a constant like barrage of like blissful, wonderful experiences. Nothing is right. So like if you're not utterly content with where you're at right now, it's okay. And there's nothing to blame yourself about for feeling that way. That is just a completely normal part of being a human in late stage capitalism, but just in life in general, you know, like we're butting up against a lot of forces that are either kind of opposing us or at least not flowing in the same direction that we are. And so if you find yourself in a spot that seems sticky or difficult or undesirable, that is absolutely normal and okay. And to think otherwise, I think doesn't do your, do you or your community or your, your practice any justice. So it is okay to not be okay at times, you know? <laughs> yeah. If you're swimming upstream, especially if you've stepped out of whatever mainstream you were in and you say, I'm going to do this a different way. Well, what way is that? Well, I don't know. I'm working that out. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, how do you know what fits? Well, because I know it in my heart, right? I feel it. So, yeah, you're going to try some things that are going to work really well. And it's like, yeah, I'm having a great day. And you're going to try other things. And it's going to blow up in your face. It's like, oh, that was a great idea. Didn't work so well. Right? There absolutely are those ideas. I mean, not ideas, but yeah, those ideas too. But those experiences. And not to step in that same spot again. Right. And that gets us further down the road. That's the great thing about it. That stuff gets us further down the road. You used the word divining, like divining experiences that you've had in the past. Nothing's wasted. Everything you've done, you bring with you. It's a matter of kind of divining, refining, seeing like Bess has done. Right. With she's got this background in in improv and that helps her to be a practitioner. She's able to be present in a way that most of us wouldn't. She's had all this practice working with all these other inner parts. I used to work in high tech, like before high tech was popular, like in the 80s. Mm. I know, it's crazy. I can't believe it. <laughs> and my job back then was to help people solve problems that they couldn't solve on their own using a technology that they didn't understand. That was my job. Today, I have the same job. I help people solve problems that they cannot solve on their own using a technology that they don't understand. Yeah. And I think, again, it comes back to that idea of sort of looking out at the world as an opportunity mm. and tuning into feelings. All feelings are information. And, you know, just like an amoeba kind of moving towards what feels good and away from what feels bad. If we're in a place in our practice where we're not feeling comfortable or nourished, then it's just information to move towards somewhere more comfortable and more nourishing. So yeah. I think that living without regret, thinking of regret as kind of a, a snag in the weave of your 
story, you know, letting yourself be unhinged from that and let yourself just keep weaving and keep rolling. So having said all that we've said, what do your practices look like today? Well, I'm practicing in Providence, Rhode Island. I've returned to the city that I went to medical school in because I full circle. Yeah. (laughs) When I came back, someone said the revolving door. Providence has a way like that. Yeah, I I practice in a space with other practitioners, but I am my own business. And I really enjoy that. I love that I have that flexibility and power. And I see patients sort of a full three and a half days a week and really love it. It's really four days a week. I should say four days a week. Great. Yeah, I similarly, my own business entity, providing acupuncture in Portland and serving primarily a queer and trans and POC client base or patient base and working out of queer centered spaces primarily and going at it. I'm five days a week and making plans for more community focused things in the future and sort of weaving in and out of different mutual aid mutual aid efforts related to Chinese medicine. And yeah, it's early days, but I'm excited. I think things are building and always looking towards the the horizon of working with more and more expansive communities. Great. It sounds like the two of you have landed in, in good places. You're doing practices that you want to do and the practice is supportive of you. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's a gift. It is a gift. It absolutely is a gift. And I would say it is also a gift that we give to ourselves. We have created the conditions and circumstances that allow us to do this kind of work. And then taken that other very positive and I'm going to say courageous step of stepping into doing what it is that you actually want to do and and create the vision that you want to see in the world. It takes a huge amount of courage. Of course, it doesn't help when you got friends that will uh, egg you on like you both do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I say it's a gift too because I often just feel so grateful that as a white woman, most medicine that sort of was traditional and cultures that I came from has been erased and we get to participate in traditional medicine and Chinese medicine through the kind of generosity of people sharing it and sharing it with folks from other cultures. And I think about that a lot, just how lucky I am to be a part of a millennia old medicine and to be able to introduce people to it here and to spread that kind of holistic vision for themselves. And so I just feel humbled all the time by I feel empowered that I created my practice and that it supports me and more. And that's huge. And then I also just feel really grateful and humble that I was able to join this medicine and be a part of it. And I think that's a lot of where that sort of momentum to share it with people and provide a sliding scale and make sure that it's accessible comes from. And it works for you. Yeah. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Great. Yeah. I think, I would definitely echo that position that we're we're in of stewarding something that has many, many, many lives beyond our own is a huge responsibility and it's a joyful responsibility. 
And yeah, using it, letting it use us <laughs> kind of as a lens to allow it to like live a life that it might not otherwise have lived. I think about that a lot with ancestors and like bringing that into conversation with modern life and how very strange it would be to conceive of like, I don't know, a distant ancestor living now and seeing life through the lens that you have in modern day, it would be mind blowing. <laughs> so like trying to um, envision and work with that kind of mentality and stewarding or facilitating the kind of work that we do in a way that feels both deeply respectful to the origin of the medicine and also honoring weird place that we're in now and making that harmonious is a privilege and a, a very joyful one. Yeah. Well, and kind of a duty too, when you think about it, I think about the millennia that Chinese medicine has come down through in China, the different dynasties talk about different worldviews like the worldview of a person in Han dynasty would be dramatically different than someone in the Song dynasty or the Tang dynasty or Maoist China for that matter. Talk about ancestors shaking their head and going, what the hell? And yet there is this set of principles for connecting and healing that has wound down to us. Mm -hmm. So we are indeed fortunate. And, you know, while the ancestors may not understand the world, that we live in, I have a feeling that the medicine understands the world that we're living in. Mm. And, and we get to discover something about that. Yeah. And thinking about that kind of top root of how, how deep that root goes. And I think that's a helpful thing to come back to as a practitioner when you feel a little lost in your practice or lost in your business is to remember that you're practicing something that's millennia old and that it's being, you know, it's held because there's something of its essence that's really true. I'm really resonant. Well, as we're having this conversation, I'm wondering if we are practicing it or if it is practicing us. I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think we'll, we'll finish that conversation. Michael. I hope it's the latter, though. <laughs> I think I'm more comfortable with that. With being marionettes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, you two, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to Tell us about the clinic you've created. Maybe there are some students out there who have a similar itch, and now they've got some uh, ideas about how they might be able to make that happen. Yeah, we've turned that itch into a, a burning, raging <laughs> rash. There you go. Throw a little <laughs> fire. Throw a little gasoline on that fire. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. I love the entrepreneurial mind because it is a mindset that sees possibilities. It notices options where others see obstruction and it doesn't take no for an answer. When we have a sense of what we want and who we want to serve, then it becomes easier to notice resources and we become more open to creative solutions. As a friend of mine likes to say, don't worry about how you're going to do something. Get clear on the what. The hows will be solved as you take that journey. And actually, that's the fun part. I love how Bess leaned on the yes and inquiry that came from her time doing improv theater and how Kyle 
was fueled by the commitment to serving a community. Indeed, everything we've done can be brought to bear in creating the kind of clinic that supports us both in spirit and in finances. You don't have to create the clinic that others tell you is possible. With imagination, a spreadsheet to understand the costs and the income, and the willingness to bet on your own future, you can do a lot. Will you run into failure? Everybody runs into failure. It's one of our teachers, and it helps us to hone and refine. It helps us to get clearer on no because and the yes if. Well, friends, that pretty much wraps it up for today. I hope you've enjoyed this geological conversation. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.